Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Your traders on the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Fireman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. I'm Courtney Reagan in tonight for Melissa Lee. Tonight on Fast, a tech trifecta. Shares of Alphabet, Apple, and Salesforce all driving higher in today's session. We'll break down what's behind these big moves. Plus, a tale of two cities, two different analysts with two very different takes on Citigroup. So who's getting it right we're going to debate it. And check out this mystery chart, this recent IPO soaring to kick off the week. We will tell you what's got investors in this name smiling today. But we start with today's incredible turnaround. After a weekend of escalating threats between the U.S. and Iran and a global sell-off overnight that saw markets from Asia to Europe drop, U.S. stocks proved surprisingly resilient, with all three major indexes finishing the day in the green. So, faced with one of the most significant escalations in Mideast conflict that we've seen in years, investors are holding strong. So can anything shake this market? What do you make of the action today, Guy? Well, welcome welcome back, Courtney. Welcome Welcome back. Tim's been away. Thank you. Welcome back. It's shocking to me. I mean, at one point today, the VIX was 16 and a half, closed below 14 in an environment where the VIX has no business, in my opinion, being below 14. I explain it the two following ways. I think a lot of it has to do with the beginning of the year inflows in a significant way. That and the fact that the Federal Reserve keeps pumping in liquidity at record paces, now north of $400 billion since September. At this pace, by April of this year, we will have exceeded the all-time high for the balance sheet for the Federal Reserve, which in my mind is just madness. I think that's the explanation. Now, the fact that Facebook continues to rally despite the headlines we've seen, very interesting. We'll show a chart later, but Facebook is now pushing up against levels that it topped out about 18 or so months ago. Look, I've thought this for a while incorrectly, but, you know, I hate to use the term whistling past the graveyard, but in a lot of ways, I think that's exactly what the market did today. Well, I tell you what, so happy new year, everybody. Uh, can we still say that guy, by the way? We, we can. can say it now, Tim. Okay. Just... But in June, it's not going to fly. <laughs> got it. So, so, so look, uh, obviously, as we got into the, everybody knows the melt-up was a function, I think, of central banks galore, uh, and that on top of a, a trade truce, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> The market's going to focus on fundamentals pretty quickly. We've got earnings coming up. We've got Constellation in a couple of days. You've got uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. You've got some retail coming in. So uh, when you look at valuations, there's nothing to get excited about. But when you look at mega cap tech, you can make an argument that valuations at Facebook, which I always usually push back on, but, but Google's valuation is fine. Amazon's valuations never mattered. And Amazon has now started to break out and was really the one you know, fang stock, if we're still using that term in this new year, um, that actually didn't participate. So uh, I think markets right now are... are rightly focusing that geopolitics have never been in the short run something that's going to derail the economy. There's no economic impact in what's going on right now, and people are focused on stocks, and it is about allocation. But, Karen, for so long we were so focused on the U.S. and China, and those were the macro headlines that were really guiding things. So why are these headlines not moving the market so much? Because I think the China headline is in a positive limbo place for the next two weeks, right? We think we'll see 
at least the first phase, whatever that is. We'll see a deal there. If there were trouble there, then I think we wouldn't see this tape. It's astounding to me that we had one down day, one day of oil spike in a pretty big, volatile situation. That's amazing to me. I mean, it just speaks to the U.S. independence, uh, you know, being uh, independent of the Middle East. That's amazing to me. But I also think it speaks to the strength, the perceived strength of the U.S. economy, right? Well, if that starts to get a little shaky, which I don't think it will. I mean, we saw that little PMI number last week. But if that's, I think, between earnings, as Tim said, if we have a China deal, if we don't have a massive increase in volatility in the uh, in Middle East situation, Guy's point of why we're at a 13.85 VIX, that's amazing to me. It just says the market just keep wants to go higher. Well, central yeah. the, the central bank point is a, is a big one. When you think about that expanded balance sheet over the last four months, what's also happened? The dollar has hit a six-month low. So when you're talking about interest rates that have gone lower, right, and they're just going to stay low, could not the 10-year could not get a, above 2%. The Dixie went from a thou, uh, 100 back to about 96, 96 and a half, six-month low, like I just said. That is obviously supportive of U.S. multinational EPS at a time where we're seeing wage inflation, right? But I got to go back. You, you mentioned that manufacturing number. You know, that was at a six month low. The trade truce, if that's the best that we have right now, if we kind of see input costs going up like oil for geopolitical reasons um, and we do see a U.S. economy that is firm and we see wages at least stay firm. You know, that's not a great scenario for U.S. corporate earnings, despite that dollar and despite interest rates being lower. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. The point is, we, never don't, know, we don't know what's going to happen here. Right. And it's not a great scenario to have an uncertain trade scenario and then really what seems to be one of the worst geopolitical flare-ups that we've been involved in in a very long time. So to me, when you say S&P up 28% last year, low single digits EPS growth, then you look at expectations for 2020 and you're saying high single digits and you say to yourself, wait, I'm not so certain we can get there. So maybe last year's 28% gain incorporates any and all good news we're going to get over the next few months. Well, it's a new year and I'm reluctant to agree with you, Adam. Yeah. Out of the gates, but but I but I it's hard to argue. And the points that I would make are price to sales. We're at two thousand bubble levels. EV to EBITDA. We're at bubble two thousand levels. Um, we've got a, a market that's so reliant on the consumer right now. We've got numbers this week. I mean, we've got a payroll number. We've got non-farm payroll on Friday. We've got ADP out on Wednesday, and we had a very strong November. So even if you're just talking about how you tactically might play this, um, I think you set up for a December number, which which probably gives something back from November. But the consumer is really what this is all about, and fundamentals are what this is all about. And I think we're finally going to get back to earnings. That's really what what I think the litmus test should be about, because there will be no trade truce to talk about. And central banks are doing nothing in the short run. That's it, it's getting back to valuations, and that should matter, and that does concern me. Karen, what do you think the biggest risk for the market is right now? Then I've got to think that the trade deal falling apart. Okay. That's that's for for months. That's been my biggest fear, and I think that's what the market most reacts to, more than the Fed even. I think so too. Well, stocks were not alone in looking past Mid East tensions today. Oil prices actually falling, but the chart master says enjoy it while you can, because the market is in for a crude awakening. Carter Worth is over at the plasma to break down oil's magic number. Hi, Carter. Hi there, crude awakening. Okay, so uh, chart of oil, and let's uh, divine it together, figure it out. I've got lines here indicating where you have a drone attack on the 16th, of course, and the drone attack uh, on Jan 3rd, but take those out, and that's the importance of charting, right? It's not about the news or the facts, it's about that quite often to the penny, 
to the penny. It gets to the penny on the drone strike and stops, falls to the penny of the bottom of the wedge, and before this current drone strike had already started breaking out. And then, of course, zoom in here, we get the drone attack there, and today we followed through. We hit almost $65 a barrel, meaning independent of whether it's news-related or not, this formation has been resolved to the upside, news or not, and there's every indication that there's more to come. Let's zero in on it. This is the formation. I mean, you can call it a triple bottom. Again, you have a heavy volume thrust to a prior high, and we are toying with the prospects of seeding that high and getting to the former high. Here's another way to draw the lines. You can see this well-defined top at a common level. You can call it a rising wedge, but it, it's all quite uh, proper as a setup, whether one accepts or doesn't accept the fundamentals, the news. And then um, this. This is crude oil on top, and this is relative performance to all commodities. This is the Thomson Reuters equal weight basket of all commodities, from softs, corn and cocoa and soybeans and wheat, to copper and aluminum and steel. And we have just now broken above the relative downtrend line that's been in effect. Uh, and you see, of course, zoom here, we've already broken above the absolute line. So finally, if one were to uh, play this in the energy complex, I think the XOP, it's a good ETF. A couple of ways to draw the lines. That is a fairly well-defined triple bottom. And also, of course, the recent action has allowed us to break above the downtrend line that's been in effect the past year, put our triple bottom back in, and every indication of more to come. I think one wants to participate on the long side. CBW, I'm with you on that. At what point, in your opinion, price-wise for crude, does it affect what Tim would just talk about, the strength of the consumer, the economy, those types of things. Right. Uh, a great deal of uh, past recessions have been caused by oil spikes, but it's typically a 75% year-over increase. We would have to get closer to the 85, 90 level to start to have that really uh, be an impact. But listen, here we are, call it 65. You start going to 72, 74, 75, that's not 95, but that's enough to start to put in the bite. Carter, when you look at uh, some of the big integrated names, they actually haven't done quite as well. And yet, I think the fundamentals for a company like ConocoPhillips have really changed with the sector. Is there a reason why you wouldn't go for uh, the best balance sheets in the space, a CVX, a COP? Uh, how do those charts look? Well, it's interesting. So those have been laggards. It's the beta trade, right? People trying to play this if and as there is a further uh, move in crude. I think a barbell approach. So you find some of the most beaten down names, uh, things that are in uh, this space, even a Schlumberger Halberd, and then go with best in class, like, like uh, uh, just what you're implying. Or Hess is a favorite, for instance. Carter, thank you very much for being here with Thanks, us today Pat. to break this all down. It was an important day for the oil market. Well, as investors continue to watch developments coming out of the Middle East, there are several other big events that we want to keep on your radar. Tomorrow, we'll get the ISM services number. Then on Wednesday, earnings from names like Walgreens, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Constellations Brands. And on Friday, look for the monthly payrolls number. Heading into next week, expect some trade headlines. We've been talking about it already. A Chinese delegation will reportedly travel to Washington on Monday to sign phase one of the trade deal. So let's talk about all of this with Chris Harvey. He's head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks for being here with us. So I asked uh, Karen previously what she thought the biggest risk to the market was. She said it is the China trade deal. Do you agree? Uh, I think the biggest risk to the market are rates and the Fed. At this point, I think the Fed's a bigger issue. Everyone is now convinced that the Fed's going to push equities higher and equities higher. I think at this point, we've seen much of what we, we need to see from the Fed. We have $400 billion of balance sheet increase, right? At this point, I don't know how much more we're going to get. And so if the Fed's not going to increase the balance sheet that aggressively, what's going to happen when they pull back? 
And when they pull back, we think that we'll see a reversal. And at some point in the first half of this year, we expect a 5 to 10 percent pullback. And that's the biggest risk that we see. But I've heard so many people say that that is a big risk. So if we're all expecting it, then maybe can that help sort of make us feel a little better, make the pain less (laughs) when that pullback does happen, if we know it's going to come? Right. So uh, we can feel however we want, may may make you feel good, may make you feel bad, but that won't stop it from happening, right? So what did we see? Balance sheet expanded by more than 10%. S&P was up by more than 10%. The balance sheet stops shrinking or stops growing, then we should, should expect to see some sort of pullback. Uh, expectations, as, we, as, um, as other people were saying, expectations are very high, VIX is very low, and, and we just can't continue to have multiple expansion at this juncture. So when you think about Fed risks, are you th- pricing in any cuts, any hikes, anything, just all balance sheet related? So the House view is for, for one more cut, but the real risk now is that we've pushed everything that we could. We have massive multiple expansion. That was partly due to trade truce, we'll say, phase one deal. But more importantly, that was related to a liquefaction of the markets. That's not going to repeat itself. And what I think we're going to see is a very modest um, increase in EPS and EPS growth. Getting back to the C-suite and what they're going to say coming up, why would you go out of your way to increase guidance at this juncture? 12 months is a long time. You also have a, a political year. You have a lot of volatility coming down the pipe. So why do you, you increase guidance this early in the uh, in the new year. So I have a hard time believing that earnings are going to do it in the first half of this year. Where do earnings need to be, Chris, in order for this? People talk about 5% earnings growth. I don't think we're going to get anywhere close, but is that sort of the bogey? Yeah, that, that's the bogey that we're using. We were low on the street last year. We're still low on the street. 5% seems like a, a reasonable part. Um, what we think is you'll see a, an acceleration in the back half of this year, um, but you really can't expect to see a lot of companies raising guidance early in the year. Chris, how about positioning? You know, as a guy that's been in this market for a long time, you look at hedge fund positioning in terms of their gross exposure. We're at almost a 95th percentile in terms of where we've been. In other words, hedge funds have more money in the market right now. They may not be net long, but the gross, without getting too wonky, as we say, longs plus shorts, they're in the market. That's dangerous to me. Yeah, and so I'm going to talk my book a little bit. For the last 12 months, we've been talking about put cyclicality on, put risk on. Now what we're saying is you need to start taking that off. We downgraded the semis about three weeks ago. Take some cyclical exposure off. Take some risk off. Everyone's gotten a lot more aggressive. Everyone's gotten a lot more positive. Everyone's gotten a lot more constructive. There's a lot less fear. There's a lot more greed at this point in time. What about some of those uh, momentum names that we've talked so much about going in through, let's even say, the next three months? Yeah, so earnings is a great, great uh, example. So what we, see, what we have seen coming into earnings, if you're missing numbers, some of these companies are going to get taken out back to the woodshed and beat, right? And so these momentum names, some will work, and some are going to make you cry because they're just not going to be able to put up the numbers that you need them to put up. Got it. Thank you very much, Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities. Thanks for being here with Thank us you. today. Well, coming up, major new developments on Boeing crossing within the past hour. The company striking a deal with one U.S. airline over the grounded MAX planes. We're going to bring you the latest. And later, analysts putting out two drastically different takes on Citigroup today, but which argument will win out? The traders will give you their picks. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. New developments on Boeing crossing within the past hour. The company reaching an agreement with American Airlines over the grounded 737 MAX planes. Let's get to Phil Lebeau in Chicago. He has the details. Hi, Phil. We'll talk about that MAX deal in just a little bit between Boeing and American Airlines, but we also know that within the last couple of hours, Boeing has notified the employees out in Renton, Washington, those who were on the 737 MAX assembly line, that they're going to be moving around starting this week. Some of them will be going to work at up in Everett on the Triple uh, uh, Seven, uh, some of the other programs up there. Some will be uh, in South Carolina redeployed to work on the 787 Dreamliner. There's also going to be some workers who are going out to where some of the MAXs are stowed in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Moses Lake is a good example of that. So they're getting their assignments as they wind down production, and that should be wrapped up with the last plane coming through the assembly line in the next week or so. Now, let's shift to the news between Boeing and American Airlines. They reached a deal today, American did with Boeing, regarding uh, the not being able to use the 737 MAX for a good chunk of 2019. This covers the loss of that aircraft from last year. Now, $30 million is going to go to employees. Back in October, American said, look, about 5% of whatever settlement we reach is going to go to employees. Do the math. That means the uh, the settlement is going to be somewhere close to about $600 million. As you take a look to uh, shares of Boeing, they were under pressure for most of the day, but they have come back uh, a bit late in the session. The max settlement, by the way, with American, one of several that the company has had with a number of airlines. They announced one with Aeromexico uh, earlier today. Spirit Aerosystems, which is a supplier to the 737 MAX line. This is where they make the fuselages in Wichita, Kansas. Those are all the ones that are built that haven't been delivered. Well, today the company said that it will be suspending max production. The company also announcing that it is going to be engaging what they call voluntary layoffs. They haven't given a number or when those layoffs will begin. It's important to note here, Courtney, that there is a good likelihood, and this is from somebody who once lived in Wichita and covered aerospace there. I know from talking with people down there that they are engaging, Spirit is engaging with the state of Kansas to do something in terms of compensating employees who might be temporarily laid off until they can bring max production back. So a couple questions here for you, Phil. If they're redeploying some of these workers, once they're able, if they are, to get this max production back on schedule, how, yep. quick, how quickly can they get them back? It takes a while to wake up the line. You just can't snap it and it's ready to go. Just as it takes a while to wind production down and the last one is coming through the assembly line over the next week or so, remember they announced this back uh, a couple of weeks ago, it also will take a while to wake it back up. So they'll be strategic in terms of saying, okay, we need these workers to come in, those who are uh, assisting in terms of parked max aircraft, let's say out at Moses Lake, there may be a time frame when they come back into the factory. And so, obviously, you've gone through some of these settlements. There have been a lot of numbers to chase in this story, Phil. What are some of the big unknowns when it comes to the numbers outside of the timeline for this MAX 737 getting back in the air? That's the biggest one, Courtney. That's the biggest one. Um, There are some analysts who initially said, okay, look, we think it's going to be about $5 billion worth of settlements. And now they have doubled that amount because it's open-ended. Will it be a month of 2020 that they don't have the max, or will it be five months of 2020? Will it be further out? Those are all the things that still need to be uh, determined. And that's why it's important to note, with this settlement with American, strictly covers the loss of the aircraft in 2019. 
Got it. Thank you so much, Phil, keeping us honest on all those things, Boeing, airlines, and everything else. Tim, when you're looking at this airline space, anything look attractive here to you, Boeing or otherwise? Well, first of all, this, this seems to me the charm offensive we thought was going to happen with Mr. Calhoun, but also Larry Kellner, who used to run Continental. In other words, getting back in the good graces of your customers, uh, I think it's begun. So, I mean, the news flow out of Boeing, uh, I don't mean to understate uh, how catastrophic and sad this has all been, but the news over the last six weeks outside of obviously a CEO change is very big. But in terms of the fundamentals for the company, um, I don't think a whole lot has changed. Uh, I think for the airline industry, we've talked about this a couple times on the show. I think it's been very uh, underplayed that the capacity that has come out of the, the, the system is something that may have really been underpinning airline shares in 2019. And that's something I think you have to be watching for, because even though we get these numbers on capacity all the time from the airlines analysts, uh, I don't think people are going to be prepared for when this does come back online. It is pretty unbelievable to think about all those flights that have been taken out of the air and not replaced. And Karen, I know you, uh, you're long on American, and we Delta saw some sell-offs here today yes. in transports and in general in the airlines. An opportunity to buy more? Um, I, well, you know, jet fuel price is going up. That's not helpful. I think that, yeah, actually, I do ultimately think, though, it's an opportunity to buy more because I do think that the U.S. economy is healthy, and I think that this is a blip. This, this reaction to me is actually far greater than oil's reaction. That's sort of surprising to me. So I do think it's an opportunity. It's true. I think the airlines came back a little bit in the session today a bit, but they were selling off fairly sharply to start the day. Yeah, and in terms of, well, I think a lot of it has to do with the way Boeing reversed it. I mean, in terms of the stock, we talked about this for a while. It traded down to Boeing, traded down to the 320 level, which was the low back in August, did that on December 17th. And it held, and it's bounced since then. So you sort of have a line in the sand to trade against, and that's something we've talked about. This stock reports, I think, the end of January, the 29th or so, if I'm not mistaken. And you know what? The way it's traded now with so many bad news headlines, and finally you get a reaction like this, maybe the worst is over in the short term. So to that end, I think you have a very tradable stock now in Boeing for the first time in a while. Except if you're the new CEO, don't you kitchen sink 2020? You even go below where some of the lower estimates are for earnings, and you just make it so no matter what happens, no matter what the settlements are or what the delay is, you can beat those numbers. So that 320 looks like a pretty precarious level for some reason. And it held um, most of last year. It bounced off of that. If you back that chart out and you look at a five-year, you say to yourself, oh, wait, is that Amazon? No, 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 it's not Amazon. It was Boeing based on the 5,000 orders they had for the 737 MAX, you know, doubling over a, a couple-year period. And you say to yourself, look at that. Ah, maybe that looks like a head and shoulders top. Maybe... Finally, they cut this thing, you know, they cut the guidance low enough where people say it's going to take more than just a year. But isn't the presumption, though, that, that uh, a lot of that expectation could be in the price and in an efficient market? I mean, you have this dynamic where it, you have to believe they're going to lose an incremental sale to, to Airbus, um, to, to believe that, yeah, sure, you could temporarily cut. We know it's going to be a lumpy 2020. We don't know when they're coming back online. But at some point, this was a cash flow machine. So you've been doing this for like 40 years, right, Tim? Have I'm you 50. ever seen a company? <laughs> yeah, I'm amazingly well Have you ever seen a company lose 96% of their earnings in one year based on whatever the thing is, whether it's bad lettuce at Chipotle or whatever, it takes a while to work off of that, right? And then the stock just hasn't, if you think about it, everyone talks about how well this stock has acted in the last year or so. At some point, it's going to act badly, and all those people who've been hanging on to it for guys' number may puke it. But for guys like you who've only been in it about 20 years, the, the bottom line here is the difference between what I know and what you know is that stocks move in advance of it actually happening. So I, I think once we get some insight into when Boeing actually begins to normalize, 
I think that's going to come right back. And I think the downside for what could be uh, a difficult and lumpy 2020 earnings is in there. Before we, we have, before you, we, oh, you have yeah. something to go, we have a no? breaking news. No, no, no. I was going to ask Tim a question. In what movie was the nickname Lumpy predominant in? Tim oh, man. No? Lumpy, Lumpy. That would be Scrooge. That would be Scrooge. Scrooge. Have you tried Staples? Wasn't Lumpy somebody's space? friend in, uh, in like, Leave it to Beaver? Didn't he have a I friend? I was thinking, like, I Little was, Rascals or something? I, I Lumpy? Know. Lumpy. No, Bill Murray. He watches the show, right. by the way, okay. religiously. He's big fan. <laughs> well, for the latest developments on Boeing, head over to our website, cnbc.com. But here's what else we've got coming up on Fast. It's a tech triple play. The desk breaks down the analyst calls that got shares of Alphabet, Salesforce, and others moving today. And later... Gold trading at nearly seven-year highs, where the options market says prices are heading now. We'll bring you that and a lot more when Fast Money continues. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Best Money. Three big moves from three big tech companies today. We're calling it a tech triple play. Let's kick things off with Alphabet. So that stock topping the tape and hitting record highs for the third day in a row. Shares spiking after Pivotal upgraded the stock to a buy with a $1,650 price target. It's one of the most bullish on the street. Analysts optimistic over the recent leadership change and expectations of strong revenue growth this year. So is Alphabet the fang name that you would bet on this year? Guy, is yeah. that your number and one Yeah, and I think fang? Karen would agree as well. I mean, in terms of valuation, Dan's going to fricassee me on no, this not. one, but in terms of valuation, I think it's the most interesting out of those four. And in terms of the, the regime change, and we talked about it the night that it happened. I mean, this stock finally got through that $1,300 level, which was a huge double top. It's been moving to the upside ever since. I mean, seemingly valuation makes sense. And I think in earnings at the end of the month, the stock continues to trade higher. So the short answer is yes. Karen? I mean, it's an extraordinary franchise. I think the valuation isn't so expensive, especially when you back out that cash hoard, which they are only beginning to use, right? They've said a $25 billion buyback over some amount of time, which we don't actually know. They can be a lot more aggressive than that. When you back out the cash here, this is a mid, mid-20s multiple for an unbelievably great franchise that spends a ton of money still, right? So I, I think the valuation is fine here. It's my biggest position. I'm happy to see that 1650. I'm not really thinking that's in the short term, but hopefully one day it'll hit there. I like it. I feel that, you know, it's up today just on that. Nothing else happened today. So we have to wait for earnings, but I like it a lot. 
Dan, what do you make of this? I've been thinking a lot about the you know California protection. He's ready to fricassee. No, no, Look at him. He's pointing. Karen, you, like know, he's you, know, you know what I love about Karen? A lot of things I love about Karen. On December 31st, her final trade was on buying Google into 2020 because I started 2019 buying Google into that year. And, and listen, you know, that 35% rally off of the lows from the summer makes a lot of sense. But I think you have to go back and think about, to your point about regulation, why was the stock trading all the way down there in the summer? And it was trading down there because people were worried about all these issues of spend that they're going to have to do with regulation. As we go into this election season, I think it's going to become an increasingly um, hot topic. And so I don't know. I mean, Facebook, Guy mentioned it earlier, they've taken their medicine on the earnings front, mm-hmm. on the spend front. And so I suspect that investors think that that's going to be a slower lift. It might be a harder lift. But 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 Facebook's exposure on spend is around security, uh, you know, to, for their platform. Have you heard of YouTube? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, you they're know, not. Right. No, but they don't really? have anywhere near, really? as far as I'm concerned. First of all, they don't have the track record of malfeasance that Facebook does. They they have uh, Facebook can't really tell you what it's going to cost them to actually ensure their core product. I think in the case the case of Google, the irony is, of course, they were often penalized for having this core business that people said was either shrinking or coming under pressure. Um, in fact, the core business has proven to be growing at the same rate, and they're now getting rewarded, much as so many other businesses are that actually have this recurring cash streams trading at a higher multiple than Google. Bets and then YouTube, which we kind of like to see broken up anyway, because if they had to spin this off, this thing would get a, uh, be worth a lot more than they're getting credit for now. We could talk about this a lot further because I am interested in the new change in the cal- in the consumer pricing law- privacy laws in California. But we're going to move on to Apple. So Wall Street's biggest Apple bull just got even more bullish. What Bush's Dan Ives said: the 5G cycle could be huge for the company, laying out a $400 best case scenario for the stock. That would imply about a 35% move to the upside from today's close into the end of the year. Apple has now doubled over the last year. So, my goodness, does the stock still have more room to run or is this record run done? Karen, what do you make of Apple here? It seems like you can't have a rally unless you have Apple moving higher. I think that is true, right? Um, I'm long Apple. I am a believer that we do see big 5G sales. over. I don't know if it's going to be this first quarter. I do think we're going to see it over the next year. And so I think the Apple valuation a little stretched. They're getting already some credit for those different kinds of mix change and those more uh, recurring revenues. They're, they're already getting credit for that, but I, I'm staying long. I know Dan is going to absolutely take the other side. China's fallen off a cliff. There is no 5G I, 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 I just don't think that. I just think that if you're buying the stock up 100% year over year on a year where earnings did not grow, they were flat last year, and you're buying it for next year's iPhone 5G super cycle, you're kind of doing it wrong. I know you're long it and you've been long. I think that's fantastic. His call today going to 400 because of that, I just don't see it. So, you know, to me, you talk about margin expansion. This was a stock trading below a market multiple for a lot of reasons, right? And then all of a sudden expands and now it's trading above 20 times. Um, there's a lot of things that have to happen. A lot of people say the comparisons are really easy year over year. I'm looking at this December quarter, 8% EPS growth expected, 4% sales growth. Both of those would be the best in, in, in a year or so. So, you know, you're telling me that the hill wasn't high to get over, but, you know, I don't know if they can do that. Tim, well, what do you think? 400 bucks? We're sitting just under 300 now. I, I, look, I think analy- analysts uh, have been forced to chase this thing unlike anything we've ever seen. <laughs> um, because it, it, the fact that we're now talking about AirPods and we're talking about the Apple Watch being something that's getting into the valuation discussion for people. And I realize uh, wearables are growing 25 percent, et cetera, et cetera. But this is all about the billion and a half installed base. This is all about services. And this is all about a company that needed to re-rate with a higher service space. Well, guess what? We've gone from 13, 14 times to 19 times forward. It's re-rated. 
I, you know, I, I, I'm long the stock. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an investor, not a trader in the stock, but it's, it's not cheap. We're going to close out our tech triple play with Salesforce, the stock getting a boost after RBC Capital and named it a top pick. We're not alone. All you loyal Fast Money fans out there might remember one of our traders said the same thing just a few days ago. So when I think about what's going on in the market here, if we're going to continue to see a melt-up and people are going to reach for high valuation, high growth things for beta, Salesforce is going to break out. Nice one, Dan. So what do you make of today's the same action? Outfit. Dan. Same outfit. Broken clock right twice a day. You know, here's the thing. This was a good setup, right? So here's a name that had underperformed many of its peers, underperformed the NASDAQ, um, pretty decent consolidation. I think this analyst took the opportunity to say that the fundamentals are pretty good. This company guided, I think, they think conservatively for this quarter and for the fiscal year, and you have the potential for a kind of upside to uh, guidance. So to me, this one was a bit of a technical trade. I think you probably see some continuation, but, you know, this is not one I'd be chasing um, up 10% from these levels. My target was a move up 10% from those levels. Guy, what do you make of Salesforce action up four, more than 4%? Just more four, and, but it's up pretty significantly over the last month and a half, two months. Dan's been spot on. But I'm in a camp that, you know what, maybe this was sort of the culmination of a big move and we do a back and fill towards the end of the month. I don't think Salesforce reports until the middle towards the end of February. So you got some time. But valuation, I mean, you can talk about valuation at a certain point. It's getting a little expensive here, so I'm more inclined to take profits on Dan's call now than to chase it at these levels. Well, valuations always been expensive. In different market environments, we found that these high multiple stocks were not performing. This Salesforce was one of them. Um, Dan's breakout is a breakout, um, so I don't think you need to push back on it right now, but I, it's hard for me to know where it goes. Salesforce has had a nice run of about 25% a year, though, slightly underperforming the S&P 500. Well, coming up next, we're going to give you a reason to smile. Why investors in this recent IPO are feeling extra happy today, we'll bring you that name. But first, we've got dueling calls on City, two analysts with two completely different takes on the bank. So who's getting it right? We'll settle the score and best money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, forget Charles Dickens. We have a new tale of two cities. Deutsche Bank downgrading Citigroup today, saying the stock has limited upside. While Goldman Sachs added Citi to its conviction buy list, saying the market is undervaluing the bank's potential return. So is it the best of times or the worst of times for City. Tim, we're going to start with you. It's Look, it's the best of times if you believe the consumer is healthy, that you're actually going to see reflation, which also means that you're going to see yields continue to move higher. Granted, they've been under some pressure because of some geopolitics. Um, and, and ultimately, who would have the most opportunity out essentially to re-rate more than the rest of the sector at Citibank over at J.P. Morgan, which is best of breed. So, uh, no, it's an environment where Citi should outperform if you believe the economy is in this status quo. Karen, bullish yep. or bearish on something? I'm long, so I'm, okay. I better be bullish or that's pretty <laughs> dumb. So I, I just think a valuation, if you look at price to earnings, it's definitely in the bottom end of that group that, you know, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, City is the, the, the laggard. Oh, nice. And then also, uh, you know, so they have dividend yield, too. That not, That's not the reason to own it, but they also have a buyback. <laughs> and I see the business improving. And so even though we're in a low-rate environment, I think they can continue to improve. If you believe the world will improve, City will probably do better. If you don't really want to make that bet, Bank of America is probably the place to be. But I'm long City. I like it. I agree with Goldman Sachs. More positive worldview betting on City. Dan? 
Uh, I, I think buying this stock, trying to play for a breakout, I think the January 2018 high was just above here, 81 and a half. The stock went down to 47 or so. So it's worked its way all the way back there. I think trying to buy it for a breakout, you better be optimistic on the global economy. You better be optimistic on the U.S. consumer. You better think that whatever this Goldilocks scenario we are in, it's going to stay the course because this stock trades at a discount to its peers for a reason 11 years after the financial crisis. So um, I think there's probably better ones to own. And you own them. It's J.P. Morgan and Bank America. Guy, bullish or bearish on City? Well, I'm bearish, Courtney. We do a, a segment here. You probably have seen it numerous times. It's called the Power Pitch. You're familiar <laughs> yes, with that? When we go familiar. up there and we power pitch a stock. Yep. And over the summer, we power pitch City. And the reason why it was trading at a significant discount to its tangible book. Stock was trading 62, tangible book was 69. And we pointed out how historically that's been a huge opportunity. That proved to be correct. Now here we are at $80 trading right around now book value. And I think that's sort of where it tops out at. So $80, 81 is book in city, 69 tangible book. I think this stock sort of trades lower back towards those low 70s, high 60s that we've seen most of the year. So I'm in the bear camp. Dan, I felt like you had something else you wanted well, to Well, when he said we, do you have like a little mouse in your pocket or something? It was you power pitched at 62, and it was a great nice call. Job. So it's kind of when, it's really it's a pat himself it, on the back. Huh? No, I wasn't patting any back. I was saying your mouse. Coll- Huh? Just patting your mouse on the back. You know, back. it's funny, the mouse thing, because that they tried to staple antlers on the mouse. Have you tried Scrooge. staples? Yeah. It comes back Bringing to Bill Murray again. He's a huge he's fan a lumpy of the show. He's, Bill Murray. He, he's probably watching right now. He's watching. Of course he is in Hi, Chicago. Yeah. Keep watching. Well, thank you all for giving us your bets on City. We'll see the tale of two cities, which way it ends up. Coming up, shopping for opportunity, a trio of headlines causing some big moves in the retail space. We will run you through them, plus gold surging to its highest level in almost seven years. Why options traders think this rally is a golden opportunity. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a retail roundup. A slew of headlines crossed in that space today. We're going to kick it off with Bed Bath & Beyond. Their shares rallying after announcing a deal to sell and then lease back $250 million worth of its real estate. This is a way to free up some of its capital. We know they're running through a turnaround plan. Karen, I know you play in the retail space. Bed Bath & Beyond attractive here. It's been beaten down, but it's also seen some runs as of late. Yeah, I mean, obviously that management change was gigantic. They probably couldn't have gotten a better guy, right, than, uh, you know, to have Target merchandising come to Bed Bath & Beyond. That's pretty great. One of the things that was surprising to me that the uses for some of this sale leaseback was to buy back stock. Mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised. So looking at their balance sheet, they have plenty of time. They don't have any debt maturities coming up. So they have room to run. If they really believe in their turnaround and buying back stock, you could see it be really turbocharged. However, I'm not a believer yet that they are not uh, still under serious threat by Amazon and others. I think there's a lot of things that needs to be done there. They're evaluating the portfolio and all the different brands. They own Christmas tree shops, Bye Bye Baby, One King's Lane, that name we used to talk about all the time. So I think there's sort of uh, some work and homework to be done there to see what's really adding to that portfolio. But they report, I think, after the bell on yep, January right. 8th, what's that, Wednesday. And I think, listen, huge short interest, I think a 40% mm-hmm. short interest. Talking about a stock that was a $7.5 stock this summer, so it's clearly more than doubled. I think shorts are going to get squeezed in earnings. So I do think there's more of the upside. And I think you can own it post-earnings as well. So I think it's going to su- surprise some people to the upside. So, yes, yeah, stay with it. How do you remember their earnings were coming up? I even forgot. I am that. like, you should, like, you should watch this show. It's like, I know nothing else. It's, it's like Elephant Man or Rain Man or Something Man. 
Oh, well, cool. it's kind of both. Well, we're going to move on here. J.P. Morgan betting that Nordstrom will rack up some big gains this year. It's upping its price target on the embattled retailer from 26 to $41, saying many of the department store's headwinds are now in the rearview mirror. We talk all the time about how Nordstrom is a good retailer, and they do have many loyal fans, but it's in the department store space, Karen. Well, they're trying to differentiate themselves, and with some success. Okay. Right? They really are. I mean, if you... What do you think of the New York flagship, the new store? It's fantastic. I mean, have you been there? There are a lot of great... How do you know I haven't been there? I mean, maybe... No, no, I was asking. Have you been there? I (laughs) know what a shopper you are. I'm surprised you haven't been there. I'm a bit of a shopaholic, but I haven't been in the new Nordstrom's. But I I think you're right, Courtney. You've gotten to a case here where the department store story is so bad um, that I think in the case of Nordstrom's where it's not a terrible balance sheet, I think people that were buying the stock on the expectations it would go private, et cetera, it's not the reason to own it. Uh, The reason to own it is that they've finally gotten out of overly, you know, promoting their rack rack business has certainly shown some growth. This is a story that I think the expectations are low enough that I think you can take a shot. Yeah, Dan, the rack business actually in Nordstrom has been much better than that full-line store, but do you see value here? In- it's not a great balance sheet, Tim. I mean, $6 billion market cap is maybe $480 billion in ca- or million in cash and then six point something in debt. I mean, so you think about it, these are declining sales. The earnings have basically gone negative. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think the biggest issue is that they are in malls, right? So you just talked about... They're in better malls. No, they're in higher-end malls They, they, they sure. might be, but what I'm saying, and they are doing good things in... They, they have one in the West Village in my old neighborhood. You know, I, so they're doing good things in the place that we might see them, but I think go to a mall... And you say to yourself, there's no, there's no future for these places. So um, we're overstored, we're overmauled, we are over department stored. I think there's got to be some consolidation. And at some point, you may see Amazon make a move um, for one of these brands because um, it could really kind of do barbell approach like they did with Whole Foods with the um, Omnichannel. And what you're talking about uh, in the West Village, there are these new service centers because they are right. overstored. So actually, they're moving to these locations that don't even have any inventory, but they're there to serve you. And yep. it fits well with Amazon. That's, that's right. Okay, so last but not least, Smile Direct Club surging more than 20% today off a deal to start selling some of its products in more than 3,000 Walmart locations. Despite today's move, though, shares of the company still down more than 55% since its IPO last September. And we talked about this during the break. This is a big move, but many of you think it should have been higher today. Well, look, if you're looking for a kingmaker, it's Walmart, especially when you're talking about the addressable market that is apparently 91% of people have some condition guy um, where they could actually use uh, Smile Direct. So if you think about it, there's still an enormous market for these guys. The problem here is, is clearly profitability and valuation. And at what point they had $150 million in sales in their first report um, doesn't necessarily justify the valuation that's come down massively. It's still a $3.5 billion company. But I think this is great news. I think you have to hang out and see how this works. You know, Courtney, I have feel. I know, I know. You've this is the second time. I just want people. I have feelings too, and I didn't grow up in in southern Westchester. I grew up in sort of the railroad towns of North, and the, the norm wasn't braces. So I have crooked teeth. But you know what? You dance with the girl you brought to the prom. Number one. Number two. I think this stock on that news, given where the stock was, where it IPO'd, and where, this stock should have been up. 50%, in my opinion. I'm shocked it was only 20%. I think that speaks volumes as to their business model. So Walmart or not, I think at a certain point you fade in this rally, and it's probably sooner rather than You're later. the first to pick on our friends across the pond, by the way. Just remember. Well, no, I, I, the real business model should go to London, Marks open up one of those, right, right, Marks and Spencer, that whole thing, and then do the whole Marks country. And well, bang. One there fell swoop so of England. so much more we could talk about here, and we will in coming days, but we got to move on. Coming up, Gold's Shining Rally has options traders looking to hit the jackpot. We're going to break down the action, but first, take a look 
Editor Kramer Cam. Jim is sitting down with the CEO of Planet Fitness. Be sure to catch that interview coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more Fast Money after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold touching a fresh six-year high today on rising tensions in the Middle East. And over in the options market, traders are betting that gold could climb even higher if the situation continues to heat up. Mike Coe is out in San Francisco with the options action. Mike, what are you seeing here today? Sure. So in GLD options, which is the ETF that represents gold, it had traded about two times the average daily call volume just by midday today. And where we saw most of that activity was the February 152 calls, over 30,000 of which had traded for about a buck and a half at that time. And buyers of those calls obviously are betting that it's going to be above that strike price by at least the premium that they paid. That would represent about a 4.5% increase just to break even from where gold closed today. And I would point out that as we take a look at the Middle East tensions, most of the bets we saw were more reflation-oriented than volatility-oriented. We didn't see a lot of bearish bets in SPX or SPY, but we did see bullish bets in both gold and in oil. Thank you very much, Mike. We will continue to watch that as well as the commodity itself. For more options action, check out our full show every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we've got your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a big lineup for you tomorrow. Brian Sullivan will be live from the Goldman Sachs Energy Conference in Miami with interviews that include the CEOs of Chevron, Marathon Oil, and Chenier Energy. But it is time for the final trade. We are going to go around the horn. Tim. Let's go back to a stock. We talked to Paramount tonight. Let's talk about Google and let's talk about the valuation and the core business, but also Google bets we don't even talk about. This is arguably one of the great incubators in all of tech that really doesn't get any valuation credit. Google. Story. Karen, you're up. You know, we make fun of Guy all the time. <laughs> all the time. We know Not enough. Right? All He's a good sport. We just can't. Not enough. Know. He's such a good sport and, you know, so oh. lovable that, you know, you got to just. So you're buying Guy? Is your final no, trade? Oh, absolutely oh, oh, not. Oh, oh. So she's no. selling Guy. I'm long. Once again. I've talked about a lot of things that I like and I want to own, but what you have to do if you're going to be long a bunch of things, and I'm always long, is you've got to own some SP puts here with the volatility index here where it shouldn't be. you got to own protection. Buy S&P puts. Uh, kind of similar vein. I, I like TLT here. I think U.S. Treasury uh, rates go lower. That's the 20-year bond ETF. I think you buy it. I think the conditions around the world speak to buying. Take us home. Courtney, we're collectively thrilled you're back. Yep. Bed, bath, Thanks and beyond. Me. I think you stayed long into earnings. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. I'm going to be very interested to see what happens there. That does it for Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.